A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax. And think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. one. Question for you, right? Question for you. If you're out at a restaurant or traveling or anywhere really with the children and they make a mess or one of them makes a mess. If you're on a plane and one of them is eating a packet of crisps or a bag of popcorn or whatever and they drop it on the floor, whose responsibility is it to pick that up? Eh? I'll come back to it in a while, but this is a right royal row after this idiot. And I call him an idiot. I'll tell you why he's a total idiot in a minute. Um, When tweeting about someone asking his wife to pick up the child's mess, um, it's it's gone viral. It's gone absolutely viral. And he's only after making a gobshite out of himself. But there's the question. You're on a plane with the children, or on a train, or a bus, or in a restaurant with the children or in a pub with wherever you happen to be with the children and they make a bit of a mess whose job is it to start cleaning that up I'll come back to it and plenty more besides also yesterday you'd be amazed the stuff you'd be amazed the stuff that people are keeping in their attics they just won't part with in terms of clothes old clothes I'll come back to that one actually we had a bit of a list came in yesterday I must try and print it off again and who is going to take charge of our nighttime economy? Who will be the night czar? Cork's night czar. Who will be the night czar? I've been talking to one man in a minute, and I think he should be. Maybe ask him if he wants the job. Good morning, 0818 96 96 96. But first we go to the newsroom and Maureen Tuig. An explosion yesterday, Maureen, at Stryker in East Cork. They make parts, I think, for artificial limbs. Is it one or two people injured? No, one man still in hospital. Good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Yeah, the, the company confirming yesterday that two people had been hospitalised. And as you see there is what it's been described as, as some sort of an explosion. Um, they were working on the roof of the, the plant in East Cork, the Angrove facility. It's in Caritool at the IDA Business Park and it happened yesterday afternoon. Now, the Irish Examiner reporting this morning that two men suffered suspected titanium burns um, in this incident. And as I say, the company confirming yesterday afternoon to us that two people had been hospitalised, but a man in his 40s understood uh, to have serious injuries following this incident. Titanium is one of the things they use to make artificial limbs. No more is known about what happened or how it happened at this stage, no? No, they're investigating it and what Stryker have said, they're saying that they're committed to a safe and healthy work environment and that they are working closely with the authorities to investigate this incident. The HSA confirmed to us as well, they're the Health and Safety Authority, that they're aware of this incident and that they have launched an investigation. So it is underway. The scene was preserved for a a time yesterday. It was closed off, sealed off uh, to allow uh, those investigations to get underway and they are working to establish exactly what happened here. It's a huge employer in Cork, Marid. It really is, PJ. And as you say there, they they're, uh, make medical devices, as, as far as I'm aware, the, the likes of hips and, as you say, artificial limbs. So, yeah, it's, it's a big employer and uh, there was a lot of concerns. You know, we were getting messages from people yesterday who were who work there and, you know, you know, they were concerned. They could see a bit of activity in terms of the emergency services arriving and there was concern there yesterday. It is a massive employer in Cork. Yeah. So the the man who's still in hospital, anything known about his condition, serious injuries were being told. That's what we were told yesterday. So there's a man in his early 40s who's taken from the scene by ambulance to Cork University Hospital. And what the guards told us yesterday is that his injuries are, are understood to be serious. Yeah, yeah. They haven't used the words life-threatening, but serious is serious enough. We, we await that. Investigation's still underway. Maureen, thank you very much, Maureen Tuig, from the newsroom at Cork's 96FM. Anybody know what happened? Anybody was working down there? Uh, has a family member working down there? Did you find out more? Do you know what happened? Maybe or maybe not, we can use your information but if you Anthony can tell us then certainly would like to to know um, it's interesting and there's it's very much of interest and it's a thing we will come back to I'll tell you more about that afterwards. We are with our friends Aiken Promotions again today live at the marquee opening at the tail end of May. I love doing this. I love telling you how many days things are away. Marquee opening in 37 days time. And on June 10th, he's another cracker. One of the best Irish pop bands um, of, well, a few years ago now since they had a hit. But at the time they had a couple of crackers. Bell X1. Our two tickets for Bell X1 at Live at the Marquee on June the 10th. Do it, uh, when do we do it, Sarah? We do it towards the end of the programme when you hear this again. All right, you'll hear this again later in the programme. I'll just drop it in without warning. Bell X1, you hear them again. Uh, Caller 9. To 0818 96 96 96 Go see uh, Bell X1 on June 10th. Also, another chance for you later this morning to do Snap the app. Looking for another qualifier for our daily 500 euro draw. 0818 96 96 96. Let me me go through this story because I think it might start a bit of a chat for us this morning. This is a guy called Anthony Bass. He's a 
baseball player, a pitcher with the Toronto Blue Jays. And he was travelling with his five-year-old and his two-year-old and his wife, who's 22 weeks pregnant. They were travelling on the United Airlines flight. And one of the children, the five-year-old, I'm assuming, the five-year-old, had a bag of popcorn, spilt it, made a bit of a mess. And the flight attendant asked his wife if she would perhaps pick up some of the mess. Do you know? Well, he went wild. The flight attendant at United City just made my 22-week pregnant wife travelling with a five-year-old and two-year-old get on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn mess by my youngest. Are you kidding me? Well, I saw this picture and there was a bit of a mess and all of that. But two things occurred to me. First of all, Mr. Bass, were you on the plane? And if you were on the plane, do you have not have arms and hands working at the... If you're a professional pitcher in a base, you have arms and functioning hands. So could you not get down off your fat arse and clean the child's popcorn if you're bothered about your wife who's 22 weeks pregnant being asked to clean up the popcorn? But child makes mess on plane. Parents' job to clean up that mess. Agree or disagree with me? 0818. Or in restaurant. Or on train. Or on bus. So, yeah. Your child makes a mess. Restaurant. Bus. Train. Plane. Whose responsibility is it to at least make a dent in cleaning up that mess? 0818. 96, 96, 96. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel... You can host a coffee break, fill a change collector box, or support your favourite sport on Jersey Day. And we're always open to fun new ways to fundraise. So get planning now. Get planning now. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 25th to 27th. You make You make me feel... Only on Cork's 96FM. I should, I guess, tell you that the airline, United, came back to Mr. Anthony Bass. Look, I don't mind if you've never heard of him. We don't have a huge following for baseball over here, but he's a Toronto Blue Jays pitcher, a very highly paid professional sportsman in the States. And the airline came back to him and said, Hi there, Anthony. We certainly understand your concern and we'd like to look into this. When you have a moment, please DM your wife's confirmation number along with any additional details regarding her interaction with a crew member. Was he on the plane or wasn't he? No one seems to be able to tell me. But someone took a photograph. Someone had the time to take a photograph of all this. But he's causing problems now for staff members. He's causing problems for... Someone's going to get a roasting over this. All because either him, if he was on the plane, or his missus, or her five-year-old, or somebody wasn't able to get down and pick up their own spilt popcorn. You get no argument for the other side out of me. I'm sorry, I'm very one-sided here. PJ says, Sally, some Cork families are filthy. The state they and their kids leave restaurants, it's disgusting. They think the staff are their slaves. I always clean up, and I get my kids to clean up after themselves. Good on you, Sally. There's something I hate, actually, and I see this all the time. 
if I'm in McDonald's or, or Burger King or any one of those places, they have bins in, say, McDonald's. They all have bins. So why would you bring your kids to McDonald's or bring yourself to McDonald's, but bring your kids to McDonald's and have two or three kids there and kids love McDonald's, they their burgers and their nuggets and their chips, whatever the hell. And then you walk away and you leave all the stuff on the table for the uh, staff to clean. Whereas there is a bin in any McDonald's, for example, there's a bin no, no more than 10 paces away, a big wide bin with a big white door just turned in there. Why do people insist on on letting staff, many of them on minimum wage, uh, clean up after themselves or clean up after them? Sally, you've got a great, great point. Kate says in supermarkets, normally you pick up the dry stuff yourself, but anything liquid they deal with because of claims. One would presume be the same on a plane. Possibly, Kate. Possibly. But spilt Coca-Cola was Coca-Cola in the bottle, Coca-Cola out of the bottle, and obviously there's more to be done there than mopping that up. But popcorn, yeah, you're right, you're right. Hi, PJ, we always cleaned up after our kids. We cleaned up our stuff in restaurants, in McDonald's, the cinema, wherever we went. Now our kids clean up wherever they go as adults. Thank you for that. And But it's kind of raised a whole discussion about, you know, the entitlement that's around us these days. If it's your kids, then their mess is your business. Unless they happen to be old enough to do it themselves. Like once a child is five or six years of age, then they're big enough and old enough to pick up their own mess. Happy to know what you think. 0818969696. Now, Cork City Council is to recruit a nighttime economy advisor who will strengthen the nighttime economy and broaden the spread of the city's nighttime offering to visitors and families. That's kind of the official line on it. One would hope they're not going to employ someone in a pinstripe suit with a clipboard with a PhD. Someone who actually knows the nighttime economy would be a great start. Like, is it a job you want, Ernest Cantillon? Good morning. <laughs> it's, it's a job I'd love to have time for. It's... Um because I think it's going to be game-changing. Do you? Uh, if the right person yeah. gets it. Yeah, well, I think um, the city definitely is evolving for lots of reasons. The event centre emerging from whatever, you know, the, the COVID changes. But also, I think these these changes to the licensing um, laws, you know, the, the new opening hours, whether yeah. we want them or not, are coming. Um, and I think that that is going to lead to all sorts of opportunities, but also challenges for the guards and noise and... Even um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out myself, you know, how we're going to tackle it. So I think that there'll be lots of stakeholders involved trying to figure that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there'll be a, a couple, there'll be teething issues with it, no doubt. The opening hours, whether you want them or not. Just pause there for a second. You see, and I probably asked this of one or two publicans before. Just because you can stay open till two a.m., three a.m., don't have to. Yeah, I, it's funny. I no, I, I've bought seven followers on Twitter, so this is going to be the world's biggest sample size, right? But I. I put out and I asked, I said, does anyone does anyone here want to go out till they're talking about six AM, so till six AM and lots of people said, No, no, we should have the right to do it and I you know mm. I was and I beat them once and I said, No, no, absolutely agree what whatever about the the ability to but out of interest, would you go out? Do you like when was the last time you want to stay out in that tumbleweed? You know what I mean? I just don't and look, I'm I'm forty PJ and I uh had small kids, so I'm probably the wrong person mm. to be answering that question. But I've lots of young staff and um 
they say look, we don't have the money to stay out for six hours. We don't that's have right. the that's you know right. the, the stamina. Right. We have something on the next day. Things like drink driving, all these different things. So I just I. I am. Um, sure there's a couple like, of opportunities, but yeah. yeah. If there were a few Sorry. times during the year that you want to leave yeah. electric open and stay open until three or four, there'd be one or two weekends in the year that you might want to do that. Do you, should, should you have that right without paying through the nose in the courts for it? Oh, I, I do think um, one issue I definitely have is that for for a late night exemption, it's the same price for a business that holds ten people as a thousand people. It's mm-hmm. the same fee, and um, and that really is quite restrictive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I, I even in my time, you you would have DJ in some of them. Like great yeah. nightclubs can be small nightclubs. You know what I mean? Or That's even right. good late bars, um, and um, I, way more cost effective, easier to manage, and and probably might work better on a weeknight. You know, you, you don't need a thousand people to fill it. Mm-hmm. So I do think there are definitely positive suggestions in those in those yeah. changes. You know, there shouldn't be high barriers to entry. Come back to the nighttime economy in general. I would say, and I don't like yourself, I'm a bit older than 40, but I, I don't visit the city centre very much anymore. But, but when I do, uh, other than a few great places, electric among them, the city centre right. nighttime is in rag order. There's one or two places and that's it. it it's, it's funny. I think one thing is that it's become very spread out. So people are used to um, wherever they were coming from, where they're collecting their own kids in town where they're out themselves and they, they're used to driving down to Washington Street and seeing it uh, being thronged with people on a Saturday. But I mean, town now spreads from, you know, from the Dean all the way up. McCartan Street's definitely having a moment. It's rocking. Yes. You know, all the way across uh, Oliver Plunkett Street has totally regenerated and, and the streets off it. And Washington Street is still busy too, but... They're the same amount of people uh, spread out a far more distance, and then it, and the other thing is that our suburban places have really upped their game. So you look at the Angers Rest and the Elm Tree, you know all these kind of phenomenal venues. Um, so I, I think that it's more spread out. Um, I, I think restaurants are, are uh, ironically <laughs> my own challenges with mine. I think restaurants are having a good run of it. I think that people really missed eating out during yeah. um, during COVID, and, and they're still going. But I think. Um, and I think people are having drinks before and after that, and, and eating out has become a real dominant experience. Um, but I think the late night is, is probably challenging. Like, we we definitely have way less nightclubs yeah. um, than we used to, and that, that is a sign. You uh, wonder, is is there a market for them either, Ernest? I was out a few weeks ago with, with a friend for, for a few points, and we were just now just down the local. Um, but I made an interesting observation that night. The guy who was doing music... Would and this was a Friday night. Normally he'd wrap up about twenty five past twelve, just before last call. Yeah. He had his gear in the car. He was gone at half eleven. Yeah, and the pub, yeah, well, well, the pub yeah. on a busy Friday, was practically empty at twenty past twelve. Yeah, I'd be curious though. Was it any busier at six or seven? I was out for dinner with friends. Um, it is. Uh, no, it was, it was Holy Thursday, uh, so it was you know a little bit like a Friday. But I was in McCurtain Street. I was going to Marco's, which is a, a brilliant Italian love, and. We went for a few drinks first, and this was after work. And there, there, there hasn't been a great after work business uh, for a long time in in Cork. Um, geez, it was hopping, you know. Yeah. So, so people were out having drinks, going yeah. for dinner, maybe going to show on the Everyman. But they were probably getting home at ten o'clock. They were catching the last bus or making sure that, that you see, That's getting right. home is a challenge too. A the concern challenge. about I was out for a few pints Holy Thursday myself, actually, with with a good friend, yeah. and where we were, it, it was like a traditional Holy Thursday before the pubs were closed on Good Friday. Yeah, it was rocking. It was brilliant. Yes. But the place yeah. was empty at half ten. Yeah, so it's it's a funny... So, and then if you think that, like, um, so so pubs are going to place the open for another eight hours? 
You know yeah. what I mean? Who who is going to be there till five a.m.? Don't the businesses uh, there? Yeah, and, and look, I think the students. Um, might, but that's a very small uh, demographic and it presents its own challenges. Like, you know, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure. One thing that's been a game changer with regard to getting home, and I, I've said this before, I'm lucky enough to live 40 yards from a bus stop served by the 220. We need another late night 24-hour bus route, don't we? Even for staff, um, for our staff, because it's safe, there seems to be no social issues for, from the feedback I'm getting on, which is great. And, um, uh, if the staff can get a taxi, they're concerned about getting one out. And I suppose also if you're, you know, it could be an hour's wages for that taxi home. Yeah. Um, and um, whatever about after a night out, if you're working, I suppose that is a bit of a sting. Um, so definitely for us, when staff are on our, our access to that uh, bus route, it makes it way easier. Because we have people who say, look, any chance I can finish up at 10 when I get the last bus to Carrigaline, well, Cross Aid maybe yeah. a specific guy who works us. But if, if they're on that, that um, is it Ballancolic to Carrigaline? Ballancolic to Carrigaline anyway, runs around the clock. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, it's a game changer because people just know they can get home safely and cheaply, which is good. And it's the same for customers, but I suppose I just see it particularly with our staff because they're later yeah. than most. It's, um, it's yeah, one thirty-five on a leap card, Ernest, as opposed yeah, to 20 quid or more. Yeah, and I, I also think that the um, I'm pleasantly surprised by um, how safe it is. You know what I mean? Just yeah. that I've not heard of any incidents, which well, is really refreshing. I'm, I'm, I'm a relatively... Uh, regular traveller on it. Um, I haven't, in fact, I don't think I've taken a taxi home from town at night maybe once in 18 months. And I find it rel- relatively, nothing's perfectly, but relatively safe to get home from town on the 220. Before I talk to you about, you mentioned yourself, you're changing plans at the moment, but do you, who would you think would make a good nighttime economy advisor? My view would be, Ernest, They'd had to have had worked with their sleeves up, sweeping brush in hand, maybe on a door, maybe behind a bar. They've had to have worked in the industry for at least a few years. Yeah, I, I think where this kind of, I don't know on a national level, but at a local level where this kind of interaction started was um, the Cork City Coordinator. And um, I think Paul McGurk was probably the first one and he was phenomenal. There's a guy, John Hayes, there now. And that's really good because there's, there's lots of smaller things that you wouldn't think that would fall between the cracks. So we're punters, we're walking on the street and we see buskers and we love them and it brings a buzz to the street. But if they're playing outside, say, a store that you're in and you have to listen to the same three songs on a loop, you know, for, for your whole day. So like there's, there's yeah. no small challenges, but they, they make a big effect on a small number of people. Like who do you talk to about that? So the, they brought in the role of Cork, Cork City Coordinator and it... Um, it was excellent. You went with all these issues. And then um, I suppose th- this is kind of like an extension of that. Um, and um, I, I think what, in, in my head, um, you do have a whole set of people, um, and you would have been involved over the years. Festivals are a big thing where you need loads of skills because you're managing large numbers of people. There's liaison with the guards. There's licensing. There's the fire officer. There's all the stakeholders. You want people to have a good time and get value. You want the operator to make money. And, and there's lots of people who do that, and it's, but it's it's um, you know they jump in for the jazz, and then there'd be something for Christmas, and like Roseanne Kidney is one person in Cork, for example, yeah. who's been involved in all the festivals. No, Roseanne, yeah. I think that that type of person would be excellent for it because they're used to dealing with all the stakeholders. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that that's the licensing is going to be a big thing, but the event centre hopefully particularly will be a, a big um, a big thing when and I'm not going to say if I'm not going to jinx us when it happens. Yeah. Um, hoping but at I think least. That, yeah. Here's, hope, yeah, here's hoping we'll have something solid happen yeah. by the end of the, of the by the end of the year. That's the talk of it. Yeah, yeah, that's the talk of it. So, so those skill sets, I think, would be um, 
would be a good place to look. You know, they're the kind of people that I've been forwarding it on to. Anyway, I got the job description. I've been saying, look, I think this is a is an exciting um, uh, is an exciting role. So um, yeah, fingers crossed. Hopefully, I'm excited. About it. It could it, it? I think it needs to be not someone just plucked because of their qualifications. I think someone who's actually done a work in the economy like that. Come here, Somebody what? who likes it. You know, mm, who, who yeah. likes hospitality. If, yeah. if, if I was, if I was. Slightly younger than I am now, I might go for it myself, but there you go. Because yeah. um, I did work that I'd I'm seen for a long time and I loved it in the years I did it. What did it's you do with your menu, Ernest? I enjoyed your Asian stuff any time I was in, but you've moved back. Thank What's you. that about? I suppose, look, we had 10 great years, uh, Electric did what it says in the tin, steaks and, and seafood in the restaurant. We, we, the reason we went for that originally was probably our proximity to the English market. And um, they made a great bar food trade, uh, burgers and, and fish and chips. And um, I suppose during COVID were closed for a while and um, I just thought, um, you know, okay, now is an opportunity. Uh, usually, like, you know that Good Friday is open, Christmas Day is your only day to, you know, that you're closed. So usually you're dealing with day-to-day stuff. And um, I suppose for better force, I had maybe too much time to think about it. And um, I, uh, there's a number of Asian places in London that I had seen that I liked. And one or two had opened in Dublin and, and were busy. And I said, geez, I wonder. I saw like our only Michelin star restaurant, which is phenomenal in Cork. Um, my Zaki's restaurant is um, uh, is Asian. And he's you know, got a great takeaway. So I said, obviously, show, people have, have shown an appetite for this. And I thought um, that we could. I, I hate the word pivot. And I found myself using it. But I just thought we could use it. And, and I'll be honest, it probably was maybe boredom is the wrong word. But just wanted to try something new. Yeah. Um, and then, then quickly enough, you realise you don't know what you got that's gone. But we we'd lots of people in, but there's a number of big demographics that we missed. So the weekends were good, but I think with corporates, um, you're you're going to bring somebody um, like a work uh, night out to a reasonably safe option or tried and tested. And I, I think similar with tourists, you probably don't come to to visit Cork to go to an Asian restaurant. So we were missing those two two key demographics. Um, and similarly, there's lots of moving parts with the Asian food, so we, we stopped our bar food to concentrate on with an Asian, Asian tasting menu. And then the bar suffered without a food offering, because I can see Sober Lane across the way, and I, I'm lucky it's extremely busy, mm. very busy. Doing food. But I could see, even from my own little sample set, I could see, okay, so town is busy. You know, like Sober Lane is busy, so electric isn't, it's not. Because sometimes, if you're not busy, you don't know, is it just seasonal? Is it a bad, you know, mm. a bad week? And, and there are... It's funny, you would see weeks that, um, like payday, the last week of um, the month, that's a great weekend because everybody comes out and mm-hmm. town is rocking. And then the middle of the month, not so much. But um, for us, January and February are quiet and we just didn't really get the bounce. Again, usually Patrick's Day and Easter are really busy and electric. But I suppose they're also traditional times, times when family goes out and that kind of things. And um, and we weren't particularly busy. And I, as much as I was telling people, um, you know, come and try this, they're all saying, oh, but we love what you used to do, you know? And um I took a week off for Easter and I went down with the kids and I was in a number of restaurants and had some great meals, mostly around Kerry. And it was steak and it was sea bream and it was hake and I was looking at all these dishes that we used to do and I was saying, oh, this, you know, this is what we do in our sleep, this is what our chefs love doing, what our customers like. Yeah. And I said, okay, we've given it our best go. Um, time to, you know, call it quits, uh, say that it was a mistake and, and go back. And look, that that's what it was. So um, I'm lucky that we have a, plan B or plan A to revert to um, and it's something that people know as far so it's not trying to pull another rabbit out of a hat and um, 
Well, I'm kind of equally relieved and excited, to be honest about it. All right. Well, you know what? There's nothing we look forward to more than a sunset on a Friday evening, on a warm summer's evening at the Grand Parade. Sunset on the Grand Parade with a pint outside electric and maybe a bit of grub. Ernest, uh, look, for, look forward to it during it. the summer. Take care, fella. Sarah, I will be coming back to this uh, during the course of the morning because there's been a particularly concerning cyber breach for one or two people or quite a number of people actually very concerning with regard to uh, victims of abuse who went to seek help for what had happened to them and there's a cyber leak affecting them it's a British outlet but it's affecting Irish people Sarah wants to know could PJ speak a little about the cyber attack and people being contacted about their information being processed this I assume is the HSE one I've got two registered letters from the HSE, one for myself two months ago to say my info was compromised during the attack. Just yesterday, my three-year-old son to say his was also. Wondering, have we any rights in this matter? I know nothing about it and there's no contact number. Just an email. Cheers to PJ Fergal and email. That's from Sarah. We're coming back to that issue, Sarah, a little bit later on this morning. Also, uh, we'll be talking about how there are now Stolen identities. You can buy somebody's identity. You can buy a credit card that was belonging to somebody else. You can buy it for 25 quid on the dark web. So that and more a bit later on. But the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation issued a press release yesterday in the wake of overcrowding records at both CUH and the Mercy on the one day. Now, I can remember CUH and the Mercy breaking their own records on different individual days. I don't recall them ever breaking their trolley records on the same day. So yesterday, there was 92 people on trolleys at CUH. There was 40 on trolleys at the Mercy. That's 132 Unprecedented, Colm Porter of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation. Unprecedented, Colm, and dangerous. I remember your your predecessor, the great Patsy Doyle, a woman of whom I was very fond, used to tell me this was an emergency when we had 70 people. Now we have 132. Absolutely, uh, PJ. We're um, we're we're in we're in a, a crisis situation, uh, really, in terms of the the trolley numbers. And thanks so much for having us on today to uh, to discuss it. So yesterday, as you're saying, we did see record numbers of, of patients on trolleys in both uh, Cork University Hospital and the Mercy as well. So just for for the benefit of your listeners, since uh, 2004, the INMO have been um, counting the number of patients on trolleys in hospitals on on a daily basis. And these are patients who have been deemed sick enough to be admitted to hospital, uh, but there's no available bed for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, yesterday we saw 613 patients out of the bed across the country. Uh, Within Cork itself, uh, we saw 132 of these uh, on trolleys and indeed chairs. Um, of course yeah. because it's not just trolleys it is chairs as well yeah. in uh, Cork University Hospital and the Mercy and just to, to kind of break that down even further so that was 92 patients without a bed 
in COH. Uh, again, of these 92 patients, 15 of these are placed on trolleys on wards that are already at 100% occupancy. Then in the Mercy, we saw 40 patients uh, there without a bed. And and as I said, these, these figures are the highest that they've been in Cork since the INMO actually started counting trolley figures yeah. in 2004. And I don't think anybody could you know disagree. These aren't the types of records anybody yeah. wants to see. Um, and of course, it, it isn't a one-off either. You know, um, trolley numbers have been excessively high since the, the the summer. We've been kind of ringing that bell since since the summer, saying that you know this can't go on. But we have actually seen the last uh, six weeks that things have deteriorated uh, yeah. significantly, and, and, and the experience. Um, and the experience uh, from nurses working in both hospitals is that it's winter pressures all year round yeah. uh, and they can't have any change coming down the line. So really, to put it frankly, it, it's not good enough for the people of Cork or the nurses working in these conditions. I was sent a photograph over the weekend, um, column of somebody asleep under a blanket on a windowsill in CUH. And I thought, is this where we have come? Yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, as you can kind of see, like, from, from a photograph like that, that's a completely inappropriate, um, uh, you know, setting for somebody to be to be treated for. We know, like, the, the scientific evidence is there when people are being cared for in situations like that, you know, the, the, the outcomes for them aren't good you know there's um it has a negative impact on the length of stay that they could potentially have a in hospital um it has a negative impact on infection and prevention control you know so patients picking up um further uh infections or, or illnesses while being treated in that environment and i suppose the the, the most harrowing um, issue around that is that you know it also has a, a significant impact on people's mortality rates as well if they've been treated in those situations for too long well we so, have the imo yeah, and the incoming president of the IMO saying at their conference only last week that people are dying because of these delays. And I suppose that 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 is that is the scary thing about it. Um, it is that people, although you know the likes of um, you know nurses, their number one priority is to provide um, you know safe, um, high quality patient Without care. But you can't do it um, under those but, conditions, Colin. Can you? But they can't exactly, exactly, PJ. That, that was the, that was the point I was going to make was that they they simply can't um, can't do it in in these conditions. The conditions in in both of the cities' um, acute hospitals is making this. Um, extremely, um, extremely challenging. So as, and I would say this, one of the more outspoken and strong-armed unions in the country, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but when the INMO says, up with this, we will not put, you can get things moving. What can you do, Colm? Yeah, uh, look, I, I suppose the thing is, I, I don't, I don't think I'm, I am engaging in 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 hyperbole when I say that we're experiencing um, an overcrowding crisis both in you know Cork and, and nationally, and I suppose that the HSC needs to treat this as a crisis, and and we need a response akin to what we saw during COVID nineteen. Um, I think COVID nineteen showed that the self service does have the the capabilities to successfully react when there is an emergency. But look, the, the root cause in Cork is a, it's a it's a it's a numbers game. Um, there's not enough bed numbers within the acute settings 
so there's not enough bed numbers within CUH or within in the in the Mercy. Uh, but there's also not enough um, uh, beds in the community, and there's not enough uh, discharge uh, facilities. So look, that 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 there there are plans in place to to increase bed capacity, but this is clearly not having having the impact that that it needs to have. Um, and so, the HSC, they, so what, they do need to renew their done? efforts. What can be done? Well. Well, I suppose they need to renew their efforts to increase uh, bed capacity. They need to renew their efforts to increase uh, patient flow in hospitals. And um, you know, whenever there's a bank holiday or or, or over the weekend, we see the the, the discharge rates um, across both hospitals they 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 plummet. Uh, that that needs to be addressed. Services over the weekend need to be to be available to to improve that situation. But the thing is, a, a, a lot of the time, uh, you know. All, all the risk has been passed on to the nurses who are caring for 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 these, you know, at times acutely unwell patients. Are your in, are uh, your members working? Conditions. Sorry, are your members, Colm, working in conditions that would be considered breaches, say, of the two thousand and five Safety and Welfare Work Act? Oh, absolutely. We were kind of seeing, you know, obviously the the, the overcrowding, uh, you know, even though mask wearing has has been stepped down, you know, COVID hasn't gone away. So they are working in uh, situations where the the, the chances of picking up uh, infections. And is there there a possibility that the union might take some action to protect that safety? Yeah, look, I I think that we, we that is that's always on the the, the cards for us. Um, you know, we it would be of course be a be a last resort. Um, if we had to go down that line, but you know, the, the is it being considered? That, you know. It, it, it's been it's been actively considered by the INMO uh, nationally, uh, particularly taking um, you know industrial action around the the uns, unsafe staffing levels because obviously the overcrowding is is one aspect of um, of the the conditions that staff are faced with, but there's also chronic staff shortages as well, uh, you know, in in the Cork City hospitals, but also um, across the board, and and it is the INMO position that you know. Where our, our our members are uh, working in unsafe staffing conditions, unsafe conditions, that is absolutely something that that, that we would have to consider. Yeah. And they're protected, like we said earlier, by the law. So how close are we, Colm? And I know you're you're just a cog in a large wheel, but how close are we to the INMO saying we're taking action? Well, I suppose from a, from a cork from a cork perspective, it is something that we're uh, we're, we're looking at. Um, you know, um, on on a daily basis, we're engaging with our members um, around. Is there a mood among know, them? What, what, for something to do. Yeah, well, do the, 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 there is. I, I mean, they're, 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 as I kind of said from the outset, they are uh, working in unsustainable uh, conditions. Um, do you know, the, the, this obviously is a it's a patient uh, safety issue, uh, but it's also a, a recruitment and retention issue. Yes. So we do have, you know, the, the working conditions that you know, people are or are, are, are nurses are working in, uh, they're not uh, conducive to attracting or or retaining staff. And what we are starting to see is that, you know, nurses in areas, they are voting with their feet um, and, and they're looking for employment elsewhere. You know, we have nurses who may be uh, new graduates, um, you know, looking um, abroad, um, which, you know, it, it's something nurses have always done. Absolutely. But, but you know, they're, they're, the, we're the, almost the, training them now for export. They've come back is the thing. We're almost, and they're, and they're exactly. staying 
exactly. anyway. There's another issue that someone's bringing up on the phone here, Colin, and it's this. People who should be in a nursing home or step-down facility of some kind, they can't get out of the hospital because there's no bed Absolutely. there. That's it. And, and look, that, that is the root cause of the, the issue um, in, in Cork at the minute, that there is a shortage of beds, both within the acute setting, whereby we see people on trolleys, but then also, you know, that there is no suitable uh, bed capacity for, for people in in the community as well. So, um, yeah, so so it, it's twofold, really. The, the numbers of beds need to increase. The HSC need to renew their efforts to increase the number of beds within the acute setting. But as, as the, uh, the the caller there said, um, the, um, the bed capacity needs to be increased okay. within the uh, community. So the message coming from the biggest nursing union is watch this space because our members are continuing action or considering action, and in particular because of the safety of their workplace. Mercy Hospital quoted by the INMO as being a dangerous workplace at the moment. 0818 96 96 96. If someone walked in here and said this was a dangerous workplace, which it isn't, but if it was, if someone walked in here and said this is a dangerous workplace, you can, there'd be a fly up somebody's backside to get it fixed by, by the end of the week. Why can't someone do that in the hospital? Corks 96 FM invites you to run the Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 4th. Yeah, Whatever you do it for, be part of this summer's favourite feel-good event. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie for Sunday, June 4th. Do it now. Do it now. With Cork's 96FM. On the nighttime economy, PJ, do you remember streets on the Grand Parade? Do I what? I DJ'd in the place. Saturday nights, chips and sausages at midnight, dancing till two. You might get an old snug and you, you, you could, without fear... You could walk up Barraca and home to Magazine Road without an ounce of hassle. Great days. We'll not see them again. Love the show, says Pat. You're right, Pat. Those those nights are unfortunately gone. And one job that whoever they choose for this nighttime economy advisor, one job they have to do is make the place safer. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Wait until you hear what I've got to give away on the show this week. It's all about cash, concerts and Krispy Kreme. There's 500 euro in cash up for grabs every day and all you need to do to enter is snap the Cork's 96FM app. I want to send you and a friend off to see Jenny Green at Live at the Marquee this summer and Krispy Kreme is opening in Cork this week. You could be employee of the month and win a 500 euro voucher for your your workplace. Mm, Listening to win every weekday from four. The big drive home with Nyan Motors, your number one for Kia in Cork. On Cork's 96 FM. <laughs> the minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96 FM. Just listening to that comment from the HSE there on overcrowding and asking people not to present themselves at either the CUH or the Mercy Emergency Department unless it's absolutely necessary and to try going to their own GP or go to South Dock or go to the Urgent Care Centre up in the old orthopaedic, which is fine in theory, but there's one problem, a couple of problems actually. A lot of people don't have 
a GP these days. If you go to South Dock, there's so many people, and I know this from talking to them, so many people being sent directly from South Dock into the ED at the CUH because the chances are you're going to, or, or the Mercy, the chances are you're going to meet a doctor that doesn't know you and doesn't have your files at hand and isn't familiar with you. And the safest place for them to send you if they can't immediately tell you what's wrong with you is into the emergency department. That That's happening right, left and centre. So it's a little bit disingenuous for the HSE to be pushing people towards South Dock when South Dock will push them back out to the hospitals. But it is what it is. 0818 96 96 96. To matters of far more immediate seriousness. I remember years ago, one of the best lessons I learnt in my very early days as a, a cub journalist, a, a boy, a boy broadcaster and a cub journalist, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from a man called Dick Cross. He was the great Dick Cross of the Irish Independent. And at the time I was starting in this business, Dick was close to retirement and he was a sage advisor, little pearls of wisdom. And I remember he told me one time at a story we were covering where there was a lot of emotion involved and a lot of personal involvement for people. He said to me, PJ, for you, my friend, this is a story. It's their life. And never forget that and try and take it through your career. And I always have done. And we've got a statement this morning which kind of brings that old piece of advice from Dick um, back to my mind. This statement has come in from a family member of the person injured at Stryker yesterday, the person who was in hospital now, seriously injured following that incident at Stryker. So Stryker is a big news story for us, but for this family, I'll read it to you. Good morning. I hope this finds you well. I'm writing with a heavy heart as our family received the worst news yesterday afternoon in connection with an accident at the striker plant at lunchtime. A close family member of mine is the chap who was very seriously injured during the incident. He has sustained massive burns. I can't divulge any specific personal information, but I would like to ask the good people of Cork and beyond for their heartfelt prayers. He is a kind, mild-mannered family man, 41 years old, with a loving wife, a baby, a young child, and a stepson. They're his world. He was living the perfect life until one o'clock yesterday. His devoted parents, wife, and siblings are devastated. They're keeping vigil at the hospital. He was in surgery until late last night and is on life support. Our extended family is heartbroken and feels helpless at this shocking turn of events. I just wanted to put the human side of the story out there so that your listeners might keep him in their thoughts and their prayers that he will pull through. All we have now is hope and prayer. Please don't release my details. And as you can appreciate, I'm not available to come on air. Sincere thanks and kind regards, a family spokesperson. That is the reality of another tough news story to deal with. 0818 96 96 96. Maybe we will talk to the family at some point, but not today. You kind of wonder where do you go after such a stark statement as that. Uh, we will be going to the cyber attacks that are out there in a little while. Uh, but 
we had some more on the tidying up after your children. This was the one where this baseball player, Anthony Bass, started a whole debate on Twitter after his wife, who's 22 weeks pregnant, was asked to pick up popcorn her child spilt on an airline, a United Airlines. Now he had a photograph that he put up. So one is assuming he took it himself. I don't know. Someone took it. And you would think, why would you take such offence to being asked to clean up, clean up your own child's mess? I asked then about restaurants and cinemas and pubs and wherever you bring your children. Is it not your job, your responsibility to clean up after them? Hey, PJ, whose job is it to clean up a mess in a cinema? Especially when you could be picking up someone else's mess that wasn't cleaned up beforehand. And then when you go to the trouble of cleaning it up, you can't dump it because the bin is full. Now, I already reported this to the cinema in question a few months ago. They apologised. They had every excuse under the sun. They offered me some free tickets. But I don't want them. And I don't want them named. I just want to highlight that the mess and the entitlement happens everywhere. But sometimes when you try your best to tidy up, you could be picking up other people's mess and you might not have a place to dump it. I can't come on. Thanks, Phil. Phil, you're so right. And there might not be a bin there. And we'll, we'll have this discussion again when it comes to beach going time in the summer. And hopefully we'll get some lovely weather in the summertime and the beaches will be crammed. And on Monday morning we'll be here with people sending us photographs of the state of the bins and the, the litter the people left behind. And I will do the same thing as I've done for God knows how many years. I will say, why don't you bring a plastic bag a little plastic bag rolled up in your pocket and bring on your own stuff. And I would say the same, Phil, if someone is going to the cinema with a fleet of kids. Bring a little plastic bag in your handbag or in your jacket pocket and at the end of the show, just open it up, put the stuff your kids have used into it. Why would someone else has used? Pick your own kids' stuff up, put it into the bag and if the bin is full, take it home and put it into your own winnie bin. Is that... A huge thing to ask of anybody. Always gets me in trouble, though. 0818 96 96 96. Now, yesterday, something else that came up, we were talking about people having an emotional attachment to clothes and to stuff and just not wanting to part with them and people keeping christening robes and people keeping their their favourite dresses from when they were one year old that their mother has kept and given them. Kaz rang. She has an old old, old, old dressing gown that used to belong to her dad. It's threadbare and worn away because he died when she was 12. She didn't wash it until she was nearly 20 because his smell was in it, but she still has it. And she treasures that. Someone suggested actually after after Kaz was on the air that maybe she could get it made into cushions. You can do that. Did you know that? You can do that with old clothes uh, for people who are no longer with us, if you have their clothes, you can get their clothes made into a cushion. I, not the first time I've heard that. I know someone got their their dad had a favourite jumper that he wore around the house. It was all holes and everything. Like <laughs> he used to fall asleep when he was smoking. And you can get a cushion made or a teddy bear. Uh, the woman who used to do the teddy bears were told isn't doing it anymore. But I have heard of people getting cushions made out of beloved relatives' clothes. Anyway, Emma, morning. 
Hello, how are you? Good. You have a house full of stuff. <laughs> well, actually, it's not my house, technically, because I did a great thing that when I moved, I left it in my mother's house in oh, a yeah. wardrobe there, you know? Um, out of sight, out of mind and all that. But, yeah. um, yeah, I think I kind of inherited it from her, actually, because she is the kind of person that would look at something and go, ah, but ah, that's lovely. You can't part with that. Ah, we'll hold on to it for another while, you know? So um, I'm 32 in two weeks and I still have my communion dress. <laughs> okay. Why? I have. Because um, it's really pretty. <laughs> I just can't part. You're not going to get in. I, I hate to break and... it to you, Emma. You're not going to get into it anymore. <laughs> I know. It's really unfortunate, isn't it? <laughs> um, we actually, I remember we bought it in, oh, it was it Buckley's, I think, was the shop on Shandon Street? It would have been um, Buckley's, I think, yeah. 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 And I just remember, like, I can remember the whole day. I remember buying the dress. I remember thinking it was the most amazing, beautiful thing I had ever seen. I remember it cost a pretty penny back then. Mm. Probably what, 1997, 1998. And um, yeah, we just got it dry cleaned afterwards and put into its little box and it's still there to this day. Um, Please so, yeah, tell me I'm reading thing. this wrong. <laughs> Baby grows, Emma? Yes. So um, I have my, I, so when my son was born, he was really, really small and he wouldn't fit into the newborn baby grows. He was just kind of a short baby. Mm-hmm. So I put the newborn baby grows on him and, you know, when there's a good two or three inches hanging down from the feet and I was like, I can't look at him like that. I was mortified in CUH and people were picking him up because the, the feet were dangling down and he just looked Has ridiculous. Has he any legs, Emma? So, <laughs> exactly, that was it. Yeah, he's a small fella, isn't he? Jesus, he's very stumpy, etc., etc. That's why I said to my mom, would you run over to see you or to Tesco and grab the smaller baby girl? So there's new baby, I think, or tiny baby. I can't remember what the, what it's called, but they're a size smaller than newborn. They are the cutest baby girls. So uh, she went over and got like a six pack of them or whatever, ran back over. And um, yeah, we basically kept two or three of them. <laughs> I, I know so what you're going to do with them, aren't you? You're going to put them in a frame on the wall at his 21st birthday when oh, he's six probably. foot six. <laughs> Exactly, you know, like they, they will be put to good use at some point. But now it's just it's just to look at them. You're like, oh, my God, was he that sized? Like, yeah. it's just and the, and the it's, shoes, it's you kept the shoes. Yes, I have his first pair of shoes and they are actually it was actually someone else that I know um, said it to me. So they're in like a little box and um, it says like my first pair of shoes on it. Like it's a cute little thing and like where you got them and whatever. Um, But another friend of mine actually put hers in like one of those box kind of frames. Mm. And it's got like a little poem about footsteps or something. I can't yes, remember off the top yes. of my head, but it is sweet to look at. It's up on the wall, you know. Um, now, that's the typical, you know, having your first child, you do all these things, don't you? But the second one doesn't get a look in for things well, like well, that. I, I, is, your, is your lad going to school yet? He is, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Queen Bee beats everyone here. Queen Bee has um, exercise books from when they were in junior infants like they're 25 oh <laughs> wow yeah that's a good that's a good one I actually have um, another random outfit thing that I have kept on to is um, when I was bridesmaid for both of my friends I still have the bridesmaid dresses and um, they definitely don't fit me anymore um, they're, they're again dry cleaned put in the dry cleaning bags and they're in the wardrobe now one of them actually was used um, one of the girls went to a black tie ball with work mm. and she was the bride so she was like you know it would be really nice my bridesmaid dress and I was going oh, yes of course no problem but in my head I was going could you imagine if I had thrown it out <laughs> 
the time. Yes. And I'd be like, what? Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, no, and she wore it and she was delighted with herself. So, um, yeah, but I still have them. I'm trying to think if there are any other. I, I had a weird thing with shoes when I was younger. I loved shoes. Yeah. And um, I can remember we were talking about shoes one day in school and the teacher was like, go home and count the amount of shoes you all have. And my granny used to call me Imelda Marcos when I was small. <laughs> and um, she, I, she was like, I've never seen a child with so many pairs of shoes. And I used to have a little rack in my wardrobe and I had them all laid out and I was fierce proud of my little shoe collection. <laughs> what, do you like? so, what do you like for shoes on holidays? Asking for a friend. Uh, I'm not too bad. I actually like... I got. A, I'm trying to think. The last time I got like a really nice pair of shoes actually was when I went to um, the Amalfi Coast with my friend. And you know, in Italy, they just whip up little leather shoes there, and then like you could mm. meet a fella like with a little stall. And I got a pair of sandals done for like. No, 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 no. What I mean is when you're packing to go to the Amalfi Coast, or oh. you're packing to go to Tenerife for a week, or somewhere like mm. that. How many pairs of shoes go into the bag? Four. Four. Is that a lot? Well, I bring a pair of runners for the daytime and a pair of runners for the nighttime. Ah, uh, yeah, but you don't have the sparkly sandals then, PJ, that you need for the nighttime. How do you know? more dressy than the casual day sandals. Well, you might not. I'd love to see a pair of gold sparkly shoes on you, PJ, the next time you're in Lanzarote. <laughs> a, friend, a, friend, a friend of mine has a pair of lime green runners that he bought for seven fifty oh. in pennies. You can see them from 50 yards away. Oh and wow! He won't yeah. wear them Actually, in court. He'd be mortified. Yeah. yeah well, the neon is all in at the moment. To be yeah. fair, they're reminding me here. I wore high heels around the quad at UCC once, but let's not talk about. <laughs> Emma, Your back's still not the same. We, we shall we shall leave you to your stuff. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Take care, thank you. 96. Anybody else? Yeah, we have a christening robe that is eighty years old. Passed down from generation to generation. It will always be in the family. That's from uh, a listener on the south side. We've had a couple of messages in, just before I go to the break there, Eames. A couple of messages in from Stryker on the back of that statement, which I might read again before the end of the show because it's a very sad thing. Um, that this, this is from the family of the man injured yesterday. He's in a very serious condition at CUH and his family are at his bedside. I'm 20 years in Stryker. It's a fantastic company and health and safety is a priority. It's very sad what happened yesterday. Our thoughts are with his family and his work colleagues. I've worked over 20 years in Stryker, says this one, in another plant now, away from where yesterday's accident was. It's horrendous that those people were hurt, but I would defend Stryker. It has a big workforce, Unfortunately, things can go wrong when you work in industry and with machinery. I've pointed out a safety issue in my time. Within two minutes, a supervisor had been down and it was fixed. They are very responsive. I've never had an issue any time I pointed anything out. However, people don't realise how lucky they are working there. Other places I've worked in haven't remotely the same interest in health and safety. I do want to express my sympathy and best wishes to those involved in yesterday's accident. 0818 96 96 96 
Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. We're doing tickets for Live the Marquee all this week. Today it's Bell X1. You'll be doing your, you'll get your opportunity to call for those later tomorrow. Uh, I think it's tomorrow. Let me have a look. Yeah, tomorrow it's Tommy Tiernan. And I'll be talking to Tommy after 11 about coming back yet again to live at the marquee. He's become a regular there now, just like just like Christy Moore has. So I'll chat with Tommy after 11, ahead of live at the marquee this summer, which starts in only 37 days. 0818 96 96 96. Now, there are scams and scams. I got two of them. I got one... I got one this morning. I got one last night. I got two, like, in the last 12 hours alone of these stupid text messages. Um, and I got one there just a couple of minutes ago. These completely stupid text messages that are trying to take you in and get you to click on a link. One of them came from my bank, or supposedly from my bank. Uh, I wasn't from my bank. Another one came from the e-toll people on the M50. I haven't driven to Dublin in over two years. So, you know, that's another scam. They're all out there. Well, the level of scams out there now and the level of people who are clicking on links, it's led to a new problem. That your information is being hoovered by scammers. Not only is it being hoovered, but it'll be sold on for profit. Small profit, but you do it enough times, it's a big profit. And your ID, your credit card number, your passport details, your driver's license details can all be hoovered and sold on the dark web. In fact, I read a a piece in one of the papers today where there's farmers' equipment, farming equipment stores have found that some of the credit cards being used are duds. So the farmer comes in, or someone comes in to buy farming equipment or supplies, uses a credit card, taps or tips or whatever you do with it these days, and then 10, 15 minutes after that person has gone and they don't know them and they've never seen them again, the credit card is a dud. But they've got the benefit of it. All that information is out there. And among the bodies asking us to be careful are the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland. Uh, joining me from there is uh, Neve Davenport. Neve, good morning to you. Good morning, yeah. So we're t- letting people know to be really cautious about not just their financial information, but also their personal information and to keep that safe. There's so many different scams and they're looking for your information um, in all sorts of ways. There are identities on sale on the dark web. Is that true? Yeah, um, and so quite as cheap amounts of money as well, to be honest. So anything ranging from 10 euro up to, you know, a couple of hundred euro. And it really depends on how much information they have about you will depend on what the cost is. Now, literally, as I was awaiting to take your call, I got another one of these everyday scams into my phone. There's very little you can do to stop them. There's very little you can do. Um, We are working with um, the banks and uh, the telcos are working together. So the, the telephone companies are working together to try to stop it. But in the meantime, what I would say to anyone is if you get a text message, even if it's a company that you deal with, whether it's your bank, on post uh, delivery, maybe you're expecting delivery, 
if there is a link in that text message, that is the biggest red flag that you can see. Uh, we do not recommend that people, uh, even other companies, use links in text messages. And if it's from your bank, they will never use a link in a text message either looking for personal or um, financial information. Now, there's a package out there called FULLS, F-U-L-L-Z. What mm-hmm. is that and what kind of trouble can it lend you in? So there's variations of this. This is where um, people are going on and they're get, harvesting information. So there's different ways that fraudsters can get information about you. There are instances of data breaches with companies and that's why we would urge companies to make sure that all their security systems are up to date, antivirus, different things like that. The other way fraudsters get into systems, whether it's a company system or with your own system at home, is if you get an email and you click on a link, um, that could bring you to a fake website and you start putting in your information like your PPS number or even your, it might bring you to a fake bank website that you're putting your bank details in. The other way that they might get it again is bringing you to a fake website, but if you click on ads that are maybe on social media or on um, internet sites that you're searching, that can also bring, bring you to these fake websites. So if you see an ad that you're interested in, for example, I would always say go to the website directly and don't click on the link that's gonna bring you to that website. If it's a deal or um, you know a really good uh, purchase, whatever it is that you're looking at, holiday or sunglasses, whatever you're looking at, if it is a good deal, it will be on the official website. So go directly to the website and don't click on links. I was just going to say the final piece um, really is social media and what's available about you. And what we would say is it's not just one piece of social media or one channel. So it's what you have on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. You know, if you think about all of the different places that you post information, you might have where you work on LinkedIn. You have your family or your friends on uh, Instagram or Facebook. TikTok is another one as well. So be really careful. Even other information, if you ever Google your name, you know, it might be your local GA club is up there. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Or your library information. Different clubs or something that you might be attributed to will also have your information. So they can build a very good profile of you very easily. So always think about what you post and does it need to be up there? We almost live online for part of our life, if nothing else. Niamh, it's become a way of life, particularly for younger people, the, yep. the, the so-called digital natives. Are, are they ripe for harvesting if they're not very careful by these criminals? They are, because, you know, I mean, you have to be very cautious about what you post and where you put it. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, being online, I'm online myself, it, it is the way, you know, it's efficient, it's easy to use, but it's how we use it and to educate ourselves on how we use it. 
So, you know, with the text messages, for example, if you know that you shouldn't be clicking on a link, that that's, you know, it's okay to get a text message, but it's not not okay to click on the link. So it's how we educate ourselves and know what, how to use online safely. And I think we're getting a lot more savvy with how we use it. Um, but at the same time, younger people, I've heard instances where they wouldn't trust a text message with, uh, with a link in it from another company, but if it comes in from the bank, they, go, they trust us because we still have this cultural belief that we trust our banks, we trust our, um, you know, our post offices, we trust the Angardi, all of these things are people that we trust. So we still have this innate kind of, I suppose, belief in the background, but we do have to be cautious at all times. In the midst of a cost of living crisis, the, the fraudsters are taking advantage of that with, with fake credit cards online. How, how are they doing that? So again, if you go to one of these, um, if you go click a link and you're brought to a website or that you go to put in a payment and you put in your credit card details, they'll be taking it from these or again from data breaches of the other way. And what they're doing is they'll put up, um, they're not using the credit card details themselves. They'll actually put them up for sale, as you said, on the dark web. So maybe a credit card by itself might be 10 euro, for example, and these are just examples, but 10 euro. If they have a credit card with a CVV, which is the three digits on the back of your card, that might be slightly more expensive. If you have your name attached to us, again, that will go up in price, and that's how they kind of do it online. And what we've seen is, uh, more in the UK, as I have to say now, there's more in the UK, but you know these things come here as well, that people are tempted into this with the cost of living crisis. They are trying to put, you know, put food on the table and turn on the lights. Yeah. So they may be tempted, you know what, I'll get one of these credit cards, the, the person will get their money back. They pay 10 euro. It may work, it may not work, but it's a chance that they're willing to take but they don't realise the impact that it has on the customers that are being defrauded, the yeah. banks, the chargebacks, and all the fees that go with that. There's a huge... And also, what are you funding behind this? You know, a lot of these crimes by fraudsters are funding very serious organised crime rings. And we would like people to remind people of that. You know, it's funding, it's funding money through drug trafficking, human trafficking, yeah. all of these terrible things that we hear about. If it looks too good to be true, not only is it probably not true, but uh, there's a, there, it's not a victimless crime either. It's not a victimless crime. I think people think it, it is. Um, it's a harmless crime, but it's really not. Neil, there was something I wanted to ask you about banking messages. And, you know, I just said there a while ago, even as I was waiting to take your call, um, I got another one of these fake texts into my phone. I discovered something recently, personally, uh, when I bought um, a subscription to to a newsletter. Uh, I got a text from my bank, which I dismissed as a fraud, and it turned out to be genuine. They were genuinely querying the transaction, and then I had to ring them to free up my card again. They are genuinely sending out messages. So, from a federation like yourselves, advice for people. How can we tell what's genuine and what's not? Yeah, so I think the key difference in in their text messages, and this is where I suppose that education piece comes in of how we know how to use these text messages that you get. And I'd urge your listeners to go to fraudsmart.ie and we have advice there and you can also sign up to email alerts on that website and it will give you tips. If there's something, a scam going around at the moment, we send out email alerts to people. But just on that text message, for example, your bank will will confirm if, will ask you to confirm if a transaction is you. But they, the point is they will never ask you to click on the link and they will never ask you to give any information. They are literally asking you to confirm yes or no. There's no link, there's no ask for personal information, and there's no ask for financial information, and that's the key difference. 
if you get a link looking or any request for personal or financial information, do not respond. And if you have any doubts, you use the number on the back of your card and call the bank directly. And they will, because the word that they rang them, very helpful. And I made the point to the person I spoke to, and she said, we get a dozen calls a day like yours. Yeah, we are trying to raise awareness. It is a very useful tool, especially um, if you're traveling abroad. The banks do want to make sure that it is used as making that payment. They are reacting very quickly to the transaction. It doesn't seem right on your account. And on the flip side, if it was fraud, you'd be very pleased with that text. But you need to make sure that it is you. And um, it is a great way to do it. It's very efficient. But do no, do reply, but only if, you, if you're replying with YRM. So in this increasingly digital world, we need to be so, so careful of what of ourselves we put out there. Neve, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Said uh, Neve Davenport from the Banking uh, Federation, the Banking and... Um, and Payments Federation of Ireland. Now, I mentioned earlier on there's another hack or cyber attack has happened lately, which is very worrying for people, particularly people, for example, who have been clients or service users of the one in four group, um, because Evid is a database provider, controller, holder, if you want. They hold data for a range of clients. And they're based in the UK, but they would have a lot of Irish interest. Evid was hacked, cyber attacked. Blonnet O'Dee is a reporter at Silicon Republic. Blonnet, tell me first of all who Evid are and what happened to them. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Peter. How are you? Um, Evid, so Evid is a, a Jerry-based uh, technology company and um, it manages, like you said, it's, it's, um, it manages the data of around 140 charities and non-profits and they're, they'd be based in the UK, Northern Ireland and also in the Republic of Ireland. And um, Evid was the victim of um, a, a ransomware attack. And just for your listeners who don't know what ransomware what a ransomware attack means, it's uh, ransomware is a malicious software that blocks access to a company or individual's um, computer system until a ransom has been paid. Yeah. Now, in this case, we, we're not sure. Um, we know that a ransom has been sought, but we're not sure whether a ransom has been paid. But... Um, I suppose it would be of comfort to people to know that um, it, like it, this case is being investigated by the PSNI, the Gardaí, and um, and Avid has also um, engaged the the uh, the services of of cyber security experts to try and contain the problem. So um, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some damage control um, involved. Now, one in four would be a very well-known organisation. Um and don't need any explanation of the people that they deal with. Very sensitive information there, uh, and they're, yes, exactly. they're one of the affected. They're one of the affected organisations. People will be very worried about that. Yeah, they will. And uh, one in four, and it, it's it's one of actually nine organisations in the Republic of Ireland. And um, there was a rape crisis centre as well. Uh, affected and you know lots of other organizations in Northern Ireland and the UK um, but I suppose um, it's important just to, to like mention the distinction and I think uh, one, one in four CEO um, Maeve Lewis um, has already mentioned on, on, on Morning Ireland I think on, on, on Monday morning I think it was but she mentioned that the, that um, the breach of the in, in the breach in um, 
the the system it wasn't one in fours uh, system that was breached it was a abides so um like it's it's kind of a complication depending on where on um on how much data yeah. uh, each organization has stored with avide mm-hmm. it depends very much in you know on what what the hackers got so like at the moment um lots of these organizations are uh, contacting victims and potential people who might have been affected um and just letting them know um you know that they their their data may have been gotten i'm sure very and wor- it's, wor- it's, very worrying times for anybody who has engaged with one in four though regardless of what Maeve lewis said and with all of great respect for Maeve, regardless of what she'd say anyone who has been to one in four would be worried it's natural exactly you know no you're right um yeah exactly and they're, they're like i think you know there's thousands of people who potentially have been affected and like we're we're not sure what exactly people got um what the hackers got maybe they got you know it could be uh email addresses phone numbers names um possibly details of of, of short details of you know people of people's engagement with with various services yeah. um so yeah that is that is very worrying for a lot of people Okay. All right, Blonin, thank you for that. Blonin, the reporter at Silicon Republic, that uh, hack or cyber attack on Avid, dairy based, but with a lot of client bases here and one in four among them. And Bernard O'Hare, you will be very familiar with Bernard. We've spoken countless times over the years. Bernard, a great activist for the homeless and the less well off, and he's been homeless himself over the years and at one point and Bernard was finally able to talk about it recently um, a man called Patrick Curran abused Bernard terribly when he was a little boy that man is now in jail Um, but Bernard I think you're very worried my friend because you went to one in four and you were afraid of what might be out there Balantia good morning yes good morning PJ Um, yeah um, I got a call there last Friday from uh, Frank, Frank Dunleavy. He was been a great support to me during the whole process of the case. But he rang me to just inform me that unfortunately they have been hacked and their systems compromised. Um, you know, so it's really up in the air at the moment, PJ, as to what information they have yeah. and what they don't have. You know, the, the um, assurances being issued are that you don't have a lot to worry about. I think, but you are worried. Yeah, well, I, wa- I as I said, I got the phone call on Friday and I have other stuff going on in my life at the moment that I didn't really pass in too much heat, but I just thought to myself, oh, here's another kick in the teeth in this whole process. But then when I listened to the Morning Ireland interview there on Monday morning with Maeve Lewis, um, she's the CEO of um, 104, and to be quite honest with you, PJ, it, it, it doesn't seem like they know themselves because if you listen to that report, it's very conflicting. I mean, one minute it was only con- I, like I was told on the phone that it was email, phone, uh, phone contact information, things like that. But then it discovered from listening to an interview that they're not even sure themselves. They couldn't even sort of make up their mind as to what was had and what was taken or whatever, you know. And would there be stuff in there, Bernard, that when you went to them, that you would, you know, you were at the very early stage of talking about your story. You found someone who listened, and you just talked. Would you be afraid of some of the stuff you talked about coming out? 
Oh, I would, uh, and, and it's not an exaggeration, PJ. You know, I waited almost. Uh, I came out and well, about what happened in 2016. Um, I'd waited, was it 25, nearly 26 years, almost, maybe even more, to talk about it. And I was just at the end of my tether. Um, you know, this is before I was not blowing me on trouble, but before you came prominent, I suppose, doing you know, the interviews and raising awareness that I, it, it was a pact of drugs and seven days a week and so I just I just give up on life. So when I actually got the opportunity to talk about it, I um would be worried and it's not it's just very personal details, the stuff I would have you know yourself when you're waiting so long to say something and you get it off your chest and I would have told him everything. I had to, you know, the ring um number one, obviously to tell the truth, to let them know what kind of help you need. And number two then a, a lot of the personal stuff because as I said, at first it was told it was just the phone numbers, but then it was when you listen to that more than earlier in an interview, one minute it's 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 not to be worried about, but then a minute later she says that it's actually oh it's short records of people's engagements. Case What's notes, the definition I, of? I think that's case yeah, notes. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, well, I, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm unsure to be quite honest with you. Um, I, I was, was just short uh, the way still Bernard, and it's a kind of a case note. Yeah. Well, like, I, I just didn't want, I'm just basically, I didn't want people talking about it. Mm. On, it's my business to say it, and if I say it good, good and well, and if I choose not to say it, it's grand, but... Now there's stuff you're, in you're, there, I would say, Bernard, there's stuff in there, and you've given some very frank and open and honest interviews, particularly since the case, um, and particularly yeah. here with me. There's stuff in there that you'd never want another human being to hear. Well, that's the, well, that's the honest. Like I, I again, it's not like I was in trouble or anything like that. But it was just, you know, it it should be another kick in the teeth. Um, you know, and as well, my mum is, you know, passed away in twenty twenty. That you know, she was the one that approached him in the first place, and it'd be just bringing bad memories up again. Do you know that sort of way, in a sense of like he's he has done enough damage already. You know, and it's like a further kick in the teeth. From it, you know, yeah. um, it's stuff you've never told anybody except the people you dealt with. Him. Yeah, sure, PJ. You, you, we, we've done loads of interviews with yourself and yourself, and you've been up my place twice, and we've had a little chat, you know, after we've done your podcast, and then after the case, and we would have had a little chat with you, even you know, about small little bits and pieces that went on, but there's stuff I would even kept from yourself, and I've kept from the best, some of my best friends. Do you know what I mean? It's just. Again, I've been more open on it. I sort of logged my own thing after the case because that was my own choice. But even then, I still, even though I was talking for nearly 20 minutes in one video, I, I still didn't say stuff that went on because, you know, I just find it hard to sort of, um, I, well, admit to it, you know what I mean? Kind of uh, what, what I allowed to happen or what happened and the effects of what happened, you know? Yeah, yeah. Things that you did... Uh, that were related to that damage that nobody might know. Well, yeah, well, like, it's, you know, if you go around the place and you're like, I don't know, say, be jacked a lad or something, but, you know, you try to have a bit of confidence or whatever, and then all it takes is if it got out, then it's like, oh, yeah, you you think you're such, if you think you're the man, you're not really a man, eh, because you allowed this to happen or this happened or someone else was to blame for it. And there's only one person to blame for all this in terms of, you know, the act that happened, and that was Patrick Curran. And God knows, I, I ruined my own family and friends and countless relationships, jobs, everything from 
from stuff that went on because it was easier to let people think you're whatever rather than say, look, well, when I was a kid, X, Y, and Z happened, you know? Mm. Um, like, I know there was other people out there who maybe would have got worse in terms of abuse to happen, but it still affected my own life, do you know? It's your, it's your, um, it's your life, and it was, it was torn apart with this. You were only a child. It was torn apart with this. Well, you know, as I said, no, my parents were breaking up, and my mum approached him just to keep an eye on me because I started going a little bit haywire. And he seized on that, you know, and it was cold and calculated the way he done it because um, it was groom. I was sorry, grooming. That's basically it. You think you have a friend, and you don't really have a friend, you know. And are there things, Bernard, that you told one in four that you thought would never be heard by another living human being? That if they came out, uh, would you? Do yeah, you know. Well, what was, you see, right, as you know, he pleaded guilty in the end. He wasn't, he tried to change his mind a, a number of times. It's what he does. It's, he's done it in his previous charges. He's done it in, to me. And, you know, I was kicking the can down the road. And in the end, when he tried to, uh, sorry, when he tried to change his plea again and again, I, I even says to myself, right, I actually want to go to court. I've not, as I said, I've not died. I, I told the truth. I didn't add any arms or legs to what happened. I went through with one and four, the guards, everybody, you know, that was supposed to. So, um, you know, that's why I started getting really kind of worried and all, you know, just kind of knowing the last couple of days, thinking to myself, what if people just, they get the total wrong idea or people will just say, you know, you know what we are, the way in this country with, with the, sorry, you know, to be, you know, but that just shows you the rootlessness of, of these hackers because, again, I know, like, financial institutions, even media yourselves, you people cloning pages and all that. But to to actually go and attack a company or an organization like one and four and um this again listening to that interview from Warren Ireland, it seems to be on the rise. You know, because one and four was or I am not sure which exactly which one was Avida or one of four was um held to ransom say, Oh like we want X amount of money and they refuse, which I totally agree. You don't give them nothing, you know, because they're cowards. But, um, you know, it's not like that for everybody, you know. I know, I know, I know. And, and um, sorry. Oh, you're okay. Like, how, how, how are you feeling? How are you dealing with this? Well, to be honest, like, I, it's, it's the latest kick in the teeth, PJ. It went on for six and a half years, right? Happens when I was 10. Then come out about it until 2016, which was uh, seven years ago. So I was 33, going on 34 when I came out about it. And I was almost um, um, just, I was glad to be over with it because I understand why people don't come forward now from the way everything was handled. Now, in saying that, I just want to reiterate that I'm not discouraging people from coming forward. But personally, me, myself, I wish I never opened my mouth from the way it was handled, the length of the case, six and a half years, um, there's one other legal thing. I, I, I'll text Fergal and off air so you'll know yourself what it is. Mm-hmm. But it was just, this is another kick in the teeth uh, in, in terms of, you know, I'm not entitled to redress. I'm not entitled to this. Not that that was the point of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not entitled to... It, it, it seems like I had no rights. And now, the, the latest thing, this is the worst thing that could happen, I think, is a kick in the teeth and say, all right, if you're not entitled to this or that or you were treated in a certain way, now we're, we're now we're going to blackmail you. 
Like to me, I don't care. I was on with Paul Byrne there yesterday and I was saying with Paul that they're not getting nothing from me, not that I have it anyways, you know. But there might be other people out there who wouldn't be as and I'm not saying that that like, you know, you think I'm any better than anyone. I'm just saying yeah. there's people out there who who will be getting caught by these scams. Bernard, for no reason other than time, my friend, I'm going to have to uh, leave it there, but we'll talk again. Mind yourself. You only live near us here, and just mind yourself, for God's sake. Uh, and remember this, you're a decent and a kind and a gentle fella to whom horrible things were done. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. 37 days now to the start of Live at the Marquee. I have Bell X1 tickets to give away before quitting time today. I have a Snap the App qualifier to do as well. We're all backed up now this morning. But tomorrow I will have tickets for Tommy Tiernan live at the Marquee. And uh, Tommy joins me now by phone. Uh, Two shows coming up this year, Tom. The 8th and the 15th of June. You're almost becoming as much a fixture of Live at the Marquee as Christy Moore. Good morning. Wow, big boots. <laughs> big boots. I mean, uh, the first gig I ever did, the first kind of professional gig I ever did, I suppose, was in Cork and I've recorded three DVDs in the county. Yeah. Uh, one out in where did, that, where did they film The Wire? Uh, Baltimore. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I did and did the Glebe Gardens there and then I did uh, one in City Limits on Coburg Street and one in the Marquee so I have a soft spot for, I always get excited going to Cork it's a little bit like going on your holidays without leaving the country yeah we're, we're, we're an unpredictable lot down here and you're, ha- that- you're always happy to be out that's what I feel like it, yeah. <laughs> lucky to be let out some yeah. of us you know and a good, a good positive there's kind of a positivity in the city it's kind of there is um, it has all the different uh, troubles and tribulations of any other place but there's a kind of a there's almost a evangelical optimism about the place that I enjoy the sky could be falling in but we'll, we'll find something to smile about yeah it's good a good place I like it as a comic on stage Tommy at a big gig like the Marquee do you feed off us when we're down there um, they're all so different and um I, I gig so often that you couldn't really remember. I remember the feeling. I did the marquee last year. Um, and I remember the feeling of it, which was a kind of a high adrenaline, um, almost out-of-body experience. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was, it was un- unusually lifting, yeah. I'd have to say. You know, I, they're very hard to describe um, theoretically, it, it shouldn't work, mm. you know, because you, you, you are in a car park <laughs> yep. with, with a bit in of a dark ball in. Tent. Um, but it's one of the most remarkable venues um, in the world, I think. There's just something about the the location of it in terms of whatever energies are flowing through the land, um, but also just the setup of it. And, and um, some of the best gigs I've ever seen have been in that tent. Um, so it's a it's a great thing for a city to have, and there aren't that many, 
you know, Galway doesn't have something like that. Dublin really doesn't have, Belfast doesn't, Limerick doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an, an amazing thing to have down by the river every year. Wherever, it's somewhere between about 15 and 30 gigs or something like that. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's wonderful, really. Yeah. Uh, and last year there was a, a, a different sense to us because we hadn't been able to get in or get out the previous two years. Yeah, yeah. No gigs. So, so when we, I mean, I'd seen you in, was it 2019? And then we'd yeah. nothing in 2020 and 21. Yeah. And like that now, everyone was going back to see the show again yeah. in, in 2022. There was a kind of a renewed sense sense of excitement. You've done lots of other things of course, besides stand-up, the show, the television show, yeah. there's a book, you've done Derry Girls. I have to ask you, I know you've said it in Vicar Street, but you're mm. not going, are we going to get an announcement from RTE one of these days? How, how do you know I said it in Vicar Street? I heard you said it in Vicar Street. How? How is this information travelling out <laughs> of my safe space into the world? <laughs> What so, I said, so, what I said in Vicar Street was, I've about as much chance of been offered the date late as Shane McGowan does of been offered the news. <laughs> Would you have liked to go off it? Well, I kind of, I, was, um, I kind of, I, I kind of have my own chat show. You know? I uh, so I kind of, the late late is a kind of is a weird one. Um, I suppose if you put your mind to it you could turn it around. Uh, but I'm kind of excited with the girlfriend I have at the minute, the, my Saturday night girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She excites me. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of happy yeah, out with her. She'll be back again. We've done six. Did you ever think you'd be after six seasons? Uh, yeah, we'll go again. We'll, we'll go again. We'll go, um, and we'll go for a longer series next time. Um, and we did 12 episodes this year, and we'll, we'll do 16 next year. Wow. So that's always... The, the thing about that is the unpredictability of it. And neither myself nor the audience know who's going to walk out. So therefore, the show isn't sold on celebrity. It's sold on encounter. And you don't know who you're going to be encountering. And also, you don't know what you're going to be talking about once the person comes out. Um, And I think that's the... That was the way I was reared in terms of the late, late. Um, now they obviously, you know, Gay knew who was coming out, and he had his questions prepared. But as a reviewer, mm. we were all reared on this. Um, do you remember that phrase we used to say? We'd we'd we'll switch over to the late late to see who's on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now we get told days in advance in every chat show in the world who's going to be on. Um, mm. And my heroes in terms of the whole chat show thing were they're people like. Dave Letterman and an amazing American guy called Dick Cavett. Um, I've seen some videos, yeah. Yeah, and they're just so relaxed and funny. And it's a bigger thing in America. It's a more, it's it's an older tradition in America of getting stand-ups to host mm. chat shows. We don't really lean towards it uh, on this side of the water. But uh, they, they would have been my heroes. Um, and they're, those two men really are basically the reasons why I wanted to get into uh, the whole chat show thing. So. The, whole, the whole thing about not knowing who's coming out, mm. you know, I would, this, this job makes one very sceptical of things. Tommy, you really, really don't know. Ah, now, come on, do you think I'd spend, I, I haven't got the attention span to keep a lie like that up uh, <laughs> for seven years. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, um, I'd be like one of those undercover cops who would eventually just end up saying, ah, no, I am a guard. No, I, I, <laughs> I don't have the the ability, to, but, that, but that's the premise of the thing. I, and the whole um, team working around know what's coming, and you don't. That's the magic of it. Well, so the the practicalities of that are, um, we meet in July, 
and myself and the production team and we have we go through each of the guests for the from the previous season and I told them how I thought the interviews went. Then I don't see them again until we start recording uh, in the depth of winter. I arrive into RTE at about four o'clock in the afternoon and uh, no word of a lie, it sounds drastic, but this is the truth. Uh, I go to a room with no windows and I sit there until we start recording. Crikey. That's, 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 how, that's, that's the practicality of how it works. As a Corkman, I would be remiss not to ask you, what did you make of, of Roy Keane? He was so much... Uh, he, was, he was so much crack in, try, in trying to have no crack. He was kind of like... Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I thought he was just... He kind of... He, it's almost like he plays a character. And he was kind of going, you're getting nothing out of me. And that was the game. And I really enjoyed it. He's a lovely... I'm sure lots of people from around Cork know him and have bumped into him and stuff like that. He's um, a lovely man. He's got, mm. There's great gentleness in him and there's great wit. There's huge kindness. He's known yeah. So, was, no, he was good fun. He was good fun. Even though, you know, some people might have gone, oh my God, was it a tough interview? Not really. It was... it was Because uh, there was tension there well, to work off the whole time. Well, I, I, I'd have to compliment you on it because I was watching it. I watched it back again and I said, you know what, Tommy realised a couple of minutes into this he wasn't getting anywhere, but he was going to keep trying. And Roy realised, I'm not giving you anything, but you're going to keep trying. And you had fun out of what you Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can only ask whatever question pops into your head you know if I'd had a map of the interview beforehand mm. I'd like to ask him about this I'm, I'm not sure the questions would have been any different really so yeah. and there were, the things I was, I was asking him I was genuinely curious about uh, I'd say he's good at poker <laughs> I'd say he is, I'd say. And you see, what I'd love to be able to do now is say to you, well, have you anyone lined up for the next season? But you don't know. Your crew are at it. Come back to yeah. the marquee. I've seen the Tom Fullery show before. I'm sure, like everything else, it would have changed over a season. Oh, yeah, it's changed. it would change significantly. There might be um, one or two stories left from last year's show, but they'd probably be told in a different way. Um, and they'd be... I'd say 60 to 70% of the material is new. But even the older stuff is um, it's kind of done in a different way because I'm, I'm out performing the show three or four nights a week. So in order for me to stay interested in it, it has to keep moving and keep lively and keep changing. Um, so sometimes you change the performance. Um, the script stays the same, but you change the performance. And that's how you stay interested in it. You change the pace, change the tone, change emphasis, change the type of acting you do in it and then other times you 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 might come to a story and say okay that story is, is dead for me now so you drop it entirely mm. and you come up with another one to take its place so they're the things that but I'm going to America in um, in a four, Monday week actually uh, to do a short kind of east coast tour so I'm sure you know that will that will inform the show yeah uh, going to places like New York and Boston and Chicago and coming back with stories from there. So it's all about staying lively yeah. it, and, 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 uh, and hoping that the words come into your mouth. That's all you can do. Talking about dropping things, finally, Tommy, we won't rehash what you did drop, but you did have to drop one particular story, which leads me to my last question. Has it become harder to be a stand-up in a, a more sensitive world? Not really, um, because what we we what I've done now is I use a thing called yonder, uh, which is where 
uh, a lot of the American comics used it and some of the touring acts, like Bob Dylan uses it, um, where um, people put their phones into pouches as they come into the show. So nobody has access to a mobile phone during the show. Um, And we've been doing it now for three or four months. And audiences love it. Audiences love it because you're sitting in a venue and no one is on their phone. Nobody. Because nobody has access to their phone. Your phone is on you. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in in you hold the pouch, but you don't, don't get the pouch opened until you're leaving. And the, the quality of attention that the audience pay to the stage is huge. Um, and it just, we haven't had a single complaint. So I've done it maybe 40 or 50 shows at this stage. Mm. We haven't had a single complaint. People are delighted to be able to be at a show and, first of all, not have access to their phones, but to be looking across a sea of people and nobody is on their phones. Mm. Nobody. Mm. Um, and it just, so what it does for me as a performer, it means I'm not having to stop the show every time I see a light on to my left or a light on to my right where, the, where people are recording. So it, the show can maintain its momentum. And I'm not also concerned about what I say. You know, I might, you know, make a mistake every now and again and push one way too hard or push another way too wild. And at the end of the show, I kind of go, all right, I'll change that. But I'm not being, um, I'm not being crucified for it. People respect the fact that it's comedy. It happens in a room. It's not supposed to be taken seriously. And if you make a mistake, you move on. You don't, uh, you're not executed in the public square. So um, that's what the yonder thing is all about. And I'll be using those down in the marquee. And it's, I, I promise you, uh, it's a wonderful thing to be doing. All right. Well, I look forward to it, Tommy, and thank you for being with us today. Coming to the Live at the Marquee, uh, the 8th and 15th of June, I will have tickets for one of those shows tomorrow. Tommy Tiernan, thank you for being with us on the Opinion Line. Cheers. God bless, PJ. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Tommy Tiernan, Live at the Marquee in June. It'll be my fourth time to go and see him. And I can't wait for it. 0818 96 96 96. Oh, we're going to do this now. Where's our qualifiers? There's someone there. Let me see. It's time to give away more free money. Snap the app. Only on Cork's 96 FM. All right. We'll get ourselves someone to play Snap the app in a couple of minutes time if you haven't done it yet what you need to do is download the Cork's 96FM app and then when we call for a contestant you take a screenshot and you snap it to us with your name at 083 396 96 96 James MacDonald where is James MacDonald hello sir hello Peter how are you thank you for the snap we'll talk in a second You did what we needed to be done, James. You we did. We sent sure us did. the screenshot. Now, you go into the draw with Lorraine this evening, Brilliant. right? Brilliant. So what would you do if you picked up our daily 500 quid? Uh, it'll come in handy for the weekend. Uh, I'm heading to Wembley for the semi-finals of the FA Cup with uh, Mike Smart for that. So it'll come in very handy. <laughs> very handy. Yeah. What? Who, who do you support? Uh, I'm already a Man United fan, but my loyalties will be with Sheffield United on the Saturday. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah. So that's what I, I'm heading over for the Sheffield United uh, Man City game Excellent. on the Saturday. And is the, is the Umphal a, a United fan as well? He is, yeah. He is. We've loyalties with Sheffield United at this uh, so we have to go over and support them. Let's see whether they do you a favour on the day. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be holding out a whole lot of hope. <laughs> yeah, with Haaland, with the way he is at the moment. But <laughs> hopefully we can ruffle him up as did. Uh. You never know. How old is the, the Umphal? 
He's uh, seven. He'll be ah. eight at the end of the month, so it's a nice little birthday present for him as well. What so. a weekend away with Dad, <laughs> huh? Ah, oh, brilliant! Yeah, last weekend away is it? Uh. These are the memories that 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 ah, that's fantastic! Absolutely brilliant. brilliant. All right, James, you are our latest qualifier. Okay, brilliant, Peter. Appreciate Lorraine that. Lorraine will make the draw after six this evening. All right, brilliant. Appreciate that. Have a good day. Yeah, and you too, sir. You too. A snappy app on Corks ninety six FM. James did just that. Downloaded the ninety six FM app to his phone. Took a screenshot. Sent it in to us. We drew him out of the, out of the bag. Is it Simon back today? Simon will like have uh, another qualifier this afternoon. Lorraine will have one herself. And then the draw is after six for a daily prize of 500 euro. Snap the app. Download the Cork's 96FM app and listen for your chance to play. Only on Cork's 96FM. Now let us go to something completely different. Well, not, not completely different. We started having a conversation yesterday with Jody who had gotten a letter in his door last week, a strange one, um, which was traceable back to uh, the Jehovah's Witness. Their JW.org website was, was quoted in this. A handwritten letter, innocuous enough now, to be honest. But there seemed to have been quite a number of other um, letters going around, similarly handwritten. James thought it was just a, a small little bit creepy and it kind of led on to people talking about religion in general and had they left it behind them or what's their attitude, you know, do the mind being having the religion you know, people bringing up religion discussing religion and we have this fascinating message that it was while in a communal swimming pool changing room that I heard the following words come out of the mouth of a mother cover your shame she was speaking to a little boy Adrian Acton, I too have heard those words, not necessarily directed at me, I would hasten to add, but yeah, cover your shame, young fella. And it starts with that, doesn't it? Morning. Good morning. You know, um, when I heard her say, cover your shame, for a moment I doubted whether I'd heard it. Do you know what I mean? I thought, this can't be right. And the three words hung in the air over her head. And it took ages for them to dissipate from my line of vision, you know. And um, this little boy, of course, completely ignored her, which is the job of little boys. But I thought, what a strange thing to have said in this day and age, you know. Mm. Um, Now, this was down in Don Manway, but there's a swimming pool there, and it's one of those, you know, communal locker rooms. And the woman, I'd say, was not too much younger than myself. Um, So 40, somewhere around. But it kind of put me in mind of what is religion now and what does it mean to us all as individuals, you know? And um, the piece I sent you is a reference to, you know, like non-practicing alcoholics, which is my father's line. I think that's great. Like a non-practicing alcoholic, if you decide you're not going to drink anymore, you can still go into the pub, PJ. You can still enjoy the rugby game and have a mineral and enjoy the game of cards or whatever. You're taking the alcohol out of the equation, which I've no doubt is hard to do, but it can be done. Um, And I was thinking it's a bit the same with religion in that if you can remove the nasty side of it, you can get great benefit from the other side. I mean... Have you faith yourself, Adrian? I... Do you know what? It's a strange question because it changes constantly. I'm working through it. I mean, if you said to me now, the nuns, right, I'll rub the back of my head because I'll remember Sister Mary 
rampant rosary trying to decapitate me with the Old Testament. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Sister Mary of the rampant rosary. I love Rampant rosary. And you know, and now at this great age, I'm at, I'm thinking back to that and I'm thinking she was probably a sexually frustrated old bat. <laughs> Do you know? So was it really her fault that she was that nasty or was she indoctrinated because of what she had? I mean, if you say to any fella now, like a lot of fellas now, the Christian brothers, they'll rub their hands because they'll, they'll have memories of the cane going across their knuckles. Mm. You know, it's, 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 that's the side of it. And I mean, in modern day even, um, we all love going to a wedding or a baptism, but you'll have the baby being baptised and being welcomed into the family of God, which is beautiful. At the same time, you're being told that the baby's a sinner. Mm. Yeah. That was one thing I often kind of, you know, struggled with a little bit, that being brought up a Catholic by very devout parents and, you know, mm. all. I would, to to this day, I'd be kind of a, I'd be a bit like the non-practicing alcoholic in terms of Catholicism, in that I'm still a Catholic. But, yeah, but and I, wouldn't, it, I wouldn't be an ard, an ardent mascot. Maybe Christmas and and a few things and funerals and weddings and things like that. But I always did find it hard to accept that a and, a helpless child could have a great big sin hanging over. This is it, and it's it's and a lot of it, of course, with all these things, it's about power and control and keeping people in line and never being quite worthy. You're always nearly there, but not quite. Therefore, you will remain under the thumb of you know, forever trying to appease the man at the top of the church Mm. who's supposedly the embodiment of God. He's not. He was probably just thrown in there because, you know, I mean, the good old days, because his older brother became a doctor. There was nowhere else to stick him or he didn't inherit the farm. You know, that you were kind of, it was just where you went. I mean, in in my own history now, I have a a great aunt, grand-aunt, who died at 19. She was a nun. And on her birth certificate, or sorry, excuse me, on her death certificate, it said she died of TB, tuberculosis. Now, an aunt of mine told me years later that the family all knew she died by suicide. But the TB is what was covering up this misery of these poor women. So, again, Sister Mary galloping scapulars, like, she was, um, she was, you know, this is what she had been made into. And I'm sure if she hadn't been a nun, she was probably a lovely woman. Do you know what I mean? She would have turned yeah. into a lovely woman. Do, do you think a lot of them, Adrian, and look, you know, we've all talked about nuns in the context of places like Besbra and, and, yes. and that. And look, there were a few notorious old cart wagons down there, to be fair. But yes. there was a, there was some, I often thought with regard to the nuns, there was women in it that should never have been in it, that were shoved into it and then had this thing bet into them that they were somehow superior to everybody else. They were damaged people, some of them. This is it. And I feel um, that, you know, you'd have the priest who um, will mention something about, I don't know, pick any team, Manchester United, right? He will mention something about it in passing. And you know that he watched that probably in the in the back of the church, what's they call it, the rectory or whatever, with the ageing parish priest who was falling asleep in the chair and he would have given anything to be down in the local with the lads to cheer on his match. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Cheer on his team. And I think the cruelty of that yeah. and the limitations of that mm. must have created some of the nastiness that yeah. we see. It's so been an awful hard left... time being a priest. You know, it must have, at least yes, in the but... olden times, it must have been an awful hard to be a priest. 
I'd say I'd say desperate, and you're trying to um, be kind and be decent to people whose lives you have no knowledge of. Yeah. You can't possibly know what it is to be either in financial strife or, you know, parenting difficulties or whatever. You can't possibly understand, even though you're trying to empathise, you can't empathise. Yeah. And there, then it becomes patronising, you know. But um, to me, religion, I mean, I love lighting candles for people who are gone. Yeah. And I think about people who get great peace from yoga and meditation and all these other things. And when you sit in a church and you recite the same lines over and over and over, it is a form of meditation. Yes. And that's very calming and that's very peaceful. And you're in this congregation with other people and you're part of a community. And that's very, very important to people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Would you be a mass so goer yourself? No. Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't be a mass goer myself, but I would I would appreciate when somebody would say to me, I'll, I'll pray for you or I'll light a candle for you or they'd say, listen... God bless, take care, you know. Mm. That's what, I find that lovely because I think any form of kindness mm. or, you know, community or anything, and the idea that somebody is blessing you, I think is lovely. Mm. Some of the most but Christian you, people I've ever come across, Adrian, have never been inside the door of a church. I would say that you, straight out. Absolutely. And I would find that I would sit down sometimes. I mean, there's a beautiful little church now. I was down there only about a week ago. I think it's Drama Hannah. I wasn't in there. I'm saying drama and I hope I haven't that wrong. It's just outside New Two Pothouse. And it's a tiny little Yeah, and it's a tiny little church and it's made of corrugated corrugated oil. Galvanized. And to me it's gorgeous. Yeah. Because there's no pomp about it. And I think that's lovely. And that to me is what um your religion should be to you, be it the teachings of Jesus or, you know, um being a good person and good to yourself and treating yourself the way or treating others the way you would like to be treated yourself and that and I will question whether my actions have been are beyond reproach or if I have been a good person have I done something decent for somebody else lately that's my religion to me yeah yeah and I find that go ahead and I find that um um, in recent years, this is slightly off subject now, but in recent times, I mean, you know, after 9-11, um, people were Googling Notre Dame. It was the most Googled word after yeah, 9-11. Not terrorism or nothing, but Notre Dame. And in recent times, people are getting more interested in the end of days, the book of Revelations, the um, predictions of, you know, Father Malachi, who was an Irish priest, who, right. you know, had the 112... Uh, popes and all that which is coming up to the now and um, and people are getting more into that lately as they're seeking out and searching for yes. some sort of soccer, some sort of peace, some sort of guidance. It's the same reason that we all went down to Helen Barrett over the years in Cove. You know, God, the there's week. a memory, Adrienne. God <laughs> almighty, Helen Barrett. Helen Barrett. Uh, we went down to Mary the Stones, Mary, Shan- Mary, da- Mary Madigan in, um, you know, Irie's and why people read the horoscopes. Yeah. It's we're looking, if you can prove that something that was said in the past is true, therefore you can find guidance somehow for the future. Yeah. And um, I recently decided, in my insanity, I recently decided to sit down with the book of Revelations, um, Nostradamus' is teaching, the three children from Fatima, Baba Vanga, Father Mal, all of them. And see if I went through all this, could I find similarities? Yes. 
And could I find links between all of the things that were said that are relevant to today? And I put it together. Anyway, between like, here, here comes the, I have to say this, of course, it's in Friday Week in the Echo, if anybody has an interest in it. But it's, um, you could find, looking back, you know, the three secrets of Fatima, mm. you have everybody interested in the third one that, you know, that our Mary appeared to these three children in Portugal and that the third one was predictions about the end of the world. Yes. Yes. And there's questions then about how Lucia had written all this down on four sheets of paper and then the Vatican apparently showed it afterwards as being one sheet of paper and all this and all this questions about whether there's pokey-pokey it's, going it's on. All, it's all fascinating stuff, actually. And, and you could write ma- many intriguing books about it. Many have been written. You could. And it's recently, when you're looking back over, and you say the second secret of Fatima, actually, was Our Lady said... You know, after the First World War, after the Second World War, she said there would be a purge unless Russia was consecrated to her sacred heart. Now, that was never done. And after the attempted assassination of Pope Paul II, he consecrated the entire world to the sacred heart of Holy Mary, but not Russia. And you're looking at this now and you're going, one side of your logical mind is going, that can't be right. And yeah. the other side of it, you know, um, is saying, okay, you, uh, Garen Bandall, the three children who had visions then in Spain as well, and yeah. one of them um, said that the Third World War would be underway in the lifetime of her children. Now, she said this in the 1970s. Yes. So you're reading through this going, oh my God. Okay, oh my holy God, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you, look, when you look back at the, we are a different race, if you like, Adrienne, to mm. those who went before us in that they didn't either have the inclination or the power to check. Mm. We can check instantly we, um, and cross match instantly. We can, and that's the power of Google. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Sometimes ignorance most certainly can be placed. It's, it's, it's a future. It's a future generation will tell us whether it is a good or bad. Come here, your book, Liam's Legacy. Before I let you go, tell me about that. Yeah, Liam's Legacy. Oh God, that was a second book. That's the follow-up book to uh, a first one I wrote called Road Frontage. Yeah. You've thrown me now, that's years ago. Um, Road Frontage was a book I wrote about a little village in County Cork and a pub called O'Sullivan's and all the carry-on of the, the people that were coming in and out of it and how what you see at the pub counter um, with the person, it, their real life is completely different. Yeah. And um, that's, based, that's based in harsh reality anyway. And, and then Liam Vegas, it was the follow-on to that, was it? It was the follow-on to that. And then after that, then I had a book of short stories called The Black Prism. Yes. Um, and that that is that did very well. Thanks be to God. I love writing. Yeah. Absolutely love it. But I think I posted you in a copy of the Black Prison. There's one around here somewhere. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Till I go into the suitcase for the holidays. Do it. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. But we could, like, you could talk all day about religion and that. It was just when you were saying yesterday about that gentleman having that through the door, mm. the handwritten note from the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, my thought on that is that somewhere somebody will have received that in the door and it, they'll receive, they'll get great peace from it. Yes. To know that there's a bigger picture. And it's not doing anybody any harm, really, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, they will, somebody will read that and go, yes, there is a, p- a bigger picture. And there are people out there, you know, there is a community out there and we're not all on our own. That's what somebody will take from it. Yes. yes. Um and that's, I mean, I, I had communists turn up here a few years ago. 
opened the door to a gang of communists and all I thought is, they've made the effort now to come to me, I'll make the effort and give them an audience. And um, of course, with, with anybody, if you listen to them long enough, they start to make sense. So <laughs> I said good evening and good night before it started getting yeah. something, you know? Isn't it, isn't it but, funny though, the way we are, we're raised as people of faith I was you know my, as I said my parents were devout Catholics my, 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 mm. my dad is gone now sadly but my mum is still very devout and very devoted to her faith and, and all of that uh, she would look at me as the non-practicing alcoholic and think yes. God where did I go wrong but yet at mm. the same time mm. midnight mass at Christmas Eve it's mm. not Christmas Eve without it even if I have to watch it on the telly isn't that weird well, it is, on one, it is on one hand, but the other side of it is you're a good person, PJ, so you, that makes you a good Christian. Mm. You know, that you are doing right by others. Yeah. Um, and that's actually more important than her what sits in the church and, you know, says the rosary out one side of her mouth and bitches about her neighbour out the other side. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we could do with less of that. We could do with the less of the fire and the brimstone and yes. burning in hell. Yes. We could do with less of that. But a bit like the non-practicing alcoholic who still goes into the pub to watch the match, it's a difficult thing to do to separate out the two. But once you do that, and it's a lifelong thing, because once you've been taught something as a child, now, perhaps I'm different in that. This is another show to be doing, but my family are Roman Catholic, Church of Ireland and Quaker. Mm. in my immediate circle. So we were hopping and jumping, you know, depending on where the wind blew. Yeah. So but the last time I was in the church, actually, was um, was in the Protestant Cathedral for um, Bishop Bishop Colton's and Patrick's Day ceremonies. Yes, yeah. yes, he's wonderful. Yeah, the last he's time wonderful. I was there, you know. So yeah. uh, it's, 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 you could you could talk about it all day, but coming back to Jody's letter through the front door, you don't yeah. think that did anybody any harm, and in fact it might have been given some sucker to somebody. Somebody out there, and if it's not doing your harm, leave them off. I mean, as you know, I mean, if, if somebody somebody's going to get offended by that, well, then the vegans could get offended by a restaurant if they've been put through the door. Do you know what I mean? That's mentioning don't, pepperoni on a pizza, like. Don't draw them on me. It's nearly <laughs> quarter to twelve, Adrian. I don't mind. I don't mind the faithful. I don't mind the Catholics, the Protestants. I don't mind. Don't draw the bloody vegans on me. Whatever you do. But, uh, but listen, in this day and age, in every household, there's somebody who'll get offended by everything. Not necessarily on their own behalf, not necessarily no, on no. behalf of somebody else, no. but maybe on the behalf of somebody's inner child that somewhere on the other side of. of the planet. Someone they've yeah. never heard of, someone they've never <laughs> met, someone they have no skin in the game, but they'll get offended. I know. Adrian, great talking yeah. to you, girl. And you too. Take care. PJ, God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. 0818 on scams, Karen was on to say, I got an email allegedly from Air regarding a refund. There's no text in the body of the email and it has a link. It claims to do with the settlement in relation to overcharging by Meteor. Interestingly, I was once a Meteor customer. I've attached a screenshot. Thanks, Karen. People might need to be made aware of it. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Okay, if you heard me mentioning this early on in the morning, you know what it's all about. Go to it. Want to go see them at the marquee?
0818969696. I have always said, because years ago in my DJing days, I played a few gigs uh, for Macra Nefarima groups around the country. And our Maraid is very much involved in Macra uh, these days. They are a great youth organisation for up and down the country and you don't have to have nothing to do with farming to be involved with them. They're great crack. And at the weekend uh, Ballancolic man James Cassidy, well he's from Lasarda and that's important was representing Ballancolic Mockera in the Mr Personality Festival 2023. James! Good morning PJ, how are you? Good. Congratulations on your second placing. Thank you very much. Mocker has been around since as long as people are farming. How long were you involved? I'm involved since just before COVID there and kind of things took a backseat but I kind of got more and more involved over COVID. Mm. We say just to try and keep the Bellingcolly Club going because we just started that before COVID and um, to just to try and keep people active online and stuff on Zoom calls and stuff but thanks to the God they're all over now we can go back to the mighty begins like we had in Carmel there now celebrating and having a bit of crack and stuff. And you don't have to have anything to do with farming. Absolutely not, no, no. Um, there's a kind of a, 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 a thing out there that you have to be a farmer to be part of Mocker and all that, but you don't. You, know, you can be anyone, just, you know, it can be anyone, just, just people that are farming and just people that are hairdressers and solicitors and everything, nurses and doctors and everything in between, like you don't have to own one acre. There's actually a club in, in Cork City itself, like, and, you know, people living in the city and the club and stuff, so... Um, They'd be looking yeah. at a window box, like. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Look at it. If you, if you have a window box, you can join Macra. Do <laughs> <laughs> as simple as that. You know, you don't have to have no relation to farming or anything. Like it's just like you said there on the intro. It's just a youth organisation. It's a great crack, and um, yeah, we'll interrupt every bit of crack. You're more than welcome to join. What kind of things do you? I mean, you had that big show in, in Clonmel, and I know that was quite that was quite an event. It was a whole weekend, really, rather than just. Uh, Prize, just uh, yeah, it was um, Friday night and Saturday night. Um, it was a Mr. Personality competition. I think it was just more of an excuse to have a good weekend out and stuff. There was kind of I know I think this was a 16th year, but um, it was just really for a weekend to crack. Really, and there was lads from all over the country there. And there was five or six of us there. Really, really got close together. There was um, a lad Connor from from, from Lode, and I had a Kerryman James, and I had a J- uh, John O'Connell from uh, Avondale, and there was a Watch from Manly Power. So the kind of five of us, we really kind of stuck together for the weekend and had a bit of crack with Jesus, 22 lads there now and 22 lads with big personalities to the hard bunch to please and in fairness. People were you know, saying about the short one at fear. Where did you get that short? It was all pink feathers. The short, oh, that was, um, yeah, that, 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 that was actually a skirt. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was made by one of the girls there for a capers, sorry, capers show. Um, capers was kind of like a pantomime to the variety show on stage and uh, they are... We got to the national final of that back in February, and um, yeah, I was doing a ballerina skit, and um, they kind of stalled the show. Yeah. <laughs> and about two minutes before I went on stage Friday night from Winter, we got a tap on the shoulder from one of the girls, Mary, and she says, Here, you're wearing that on stage. You goes, so, What? I, I goes, Yeah, sure, look at it. I said, I will hoin off for a bit of crack. So the MC in the night was up on the stage, looking at me trying to slip on the skirt, being kind of um, discreet, but uh, to, to have to put on the skirt, I know, I had to put on under pressure before. <laughs> No, so. <laughs> under pressure or not under pressure are you yeah. <laughs> well congratulations and if anybody does want to join their local Macra whether they have a uh, hundred acres or a window box just look it up just look it up to all there can I plug two or three events that are happening this weekend or in the next couple of weeks there just locally fire away quick as you can um, so White Church Macra hosted a bingo night in the Castle Hotel in Blarney on Friday the 21st at 8pm 
Um, the bingo nights are always great crack. Um, so you're more than welcome. And you know, like that now for them being them social nights, you don't have to be to the mockers going to be for 17 to 35 hours, but for anyone, any, anyone can come along to have to enjoy the crack. And um, Berlin colleague then, we're hosting a table quiz in O'Shea's Barn Waterfall on Friday week, the 28th at 8pm. And um, like that now, there's guaranteed to be a raffle. It wouldn't be a mocker event without a raffle at halftime, so we're guaranteed to one of them. <laughs> I remember and, doing a few of them. God yeah, and, and finally then there's the mocker National AGM and Banquet on in the Maritime Hotel in Bantry on Saturday the 13th of May. And this Carberry mocker or hosting. Yeah, so anyone who wants that will be another good night as well, so anyone who's interested in coming on, there's a couple of social events there for people to kind of test the water and stuff and see how they get on. All right, ben, James, thank you very much. Ben and colleague Marcus James Cassidy, second in their Mr. Personality. We'll just do, we'll just mention Ronan. Ronan Crowley's our winner with uh, Bell X1 and live at the marquee. Ronan, two tickets off to see Bell X1 on the 10th of June. Well done to you, Roland. You'll 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 enjoy that, my friend. I'd say, good man. I will. Cheers. Take care. Thanks, good Thanks. man. Thanks for the call. I need to do this before I go. Um, I don't want to rush it too much. This is the statement issued to a, a number of media outlets this morning on behalf of the family of the striker accident victim. Um, I'm writing with a heavy heart. Our family received the worst news yesterday afternoon. A close family member was the chap who was seriously injured during the incident. He has massive burns. I can't divulge any specific personal information, but I would like to ask the good people of Cork and beyond for their prayers. He's a kind, mind mild-mannered family man, 41, with a loving wife, a baby, a young child, and a stepson. They're his world. He was living the perfect life until one o'clock yesterday. He's devoted to parents... Wife and siblings are devastated and they're keeping vigil at the hospital. He was in surgery until late last night and is on life support. Our family are heartbroken and feel helpless at this shocking turn of events. I just wanted to put the human side of the story out there so your listeners might keep him in their thoughts and prayers that he will pull through. It's all we have now is hope and prayer. And I suppose as we think of the little things that will bother us for the rest of this Wednesday. We should spare a thought too for that family and our thoughts are with them. That's it for today. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. And we'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel Every year, we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 25th to 27th. You make me, you make me feel only on Cork's 96FM.